ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everybody in between. Welcome to another episode of the Jake Botel Sports Experience. My name is Jake and I'm joined in the virtual studio, a sexier virtual studio now that we've upgraded the uh, visual component of the show. By the one and only Minnesota Jack, welcome to the fancy place. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. You've redecorated, uh, done a bit of renovations, mm. and it looks very, very fancy. So I'm very, very happy to be here. Fancy man with the fancy, fancy. Um, glad to have your company on this podcast. If you don't already, make sure you go and follow the JBSE on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the JBSE. Now, we've got to slam into it. This is our Thursday night football recap show. It's our week 13 preview show. We're going to get to every single game on the slate, and we're going to start off with Thursday night football, the Buffalo Bills defeating the New England Patriots 24 to 10. Jacko, the Patriots scored early in this game. It looked like they were going to really make a contest of it. Um, but thereafter, the Bills really took control of this match. Um, they win 24 to 10, as I said. The Patriots held to just a solitary field goal after that initial touchdown. That field goal came with a minute 53 on the clock. The Bills rushed for 132 yards on 37 carries. They held New England to 60 on 14. They held New England to 195 passing yards on 36 attempts. Josh Allen was efficient. Could have thrown or two. Um, but the Bills get the job done again. James Cook goes for 64 yards on 14 carries. Devin Singletary, 51 yards on 13 carries. Um, what were your thoughts coming away from this game? Yeah, I mean, early on, thought that maybe this would have been a bit of an interesting, uh, bit of an interesting contest. You know, Buffalo's forced to a field goal. Patriots get a touchdown. Like you start to wonder, oh, can this be the sort of interesting, competitive, not blowout game between these two? Uh, but after that touchdown that really like a touchdown's a touchdown at the end of the day, doesn't matter how you get it. It's your seven points or, you know, it's your mm -hmm. six points. Um, but that touchdown throw was like quick pass, barely past the line of scrimmage to Marcus Jones. Um, I think they said on his mm -hmm. first offensive snap this season uh, and just runs to the house, evades a few tackles, gets into the end zone. Great play. Not so much on Mac Jones. Like I feel like his input in that touchdown was pretty minimal. So beyond that, yeah. beyond a play that kind of hinged on a few missed tackles, but also, to be fair, some great offensive play by Marcus Jones. Beyond that, they they really just couldn't do anything, and you just felt for the Patriots fans in the stands, who you feel like would have had their hopes up early in that game, or going into the game, but also early in the game. And then, you know, Buffalo would go out on these, like, you know, nine play, 14 play, 15 play drives and just keep picking up third downs, keep getting first downs. And you're like, okay, at least they can force into a field goal. 
no, nah, they're getting touchdowns. And then it goes to the Patriots and they go three and out. Like that's one of the most deflating experiences as a fan where you go three and out, you cannot move the ball. And then the opposition just moves it down with ease. So early on thought it could have been something, but at the end of the day, the Bills were just able to do more with the football. And even when they were stopped, when they were forced to fu- forced to punt, when they you know turned the ball over, the Patriots couldn't capitalize. And it just shows that while their defense is good, although two weeks in a row they've looked a little um, out of sorts, their offense needs major changes. Yeah, and I thought if anything demonstrated better sometimes for me, the need to define QB passing yards as air yards only um, (laughs) was that Jones touchdown um, from from Mac Jones, which, yeah... um, I thought this was a good performance from Buffalo. Like it it wasn't like sparkling. It wasn't like they were at their absolute best, but it was, it was another expression of dominance over the Patriots. It was another example of the bills going, we are the bullies and we will continue to grind you into the dust. Uh, It's their first three, was it three game winning streak in new England since 1992 to 1994. Wow. So this the most dominant the Bills have been over the Patriots in 30 years, uh, which is massive. And, you know, that was the time in which the Bills were going to a lot of Super Bowls. Um, So they'll hope that that carries over. I think the Patriots are cooked as a playoff team for me. Um, I guess it does come down to what's on their schedule. And they do have a 2-0 head-to-head record against the Jets. So I I guess they can still sneak in. But I, I... they're just, they're just a really average kind of football team, you know. There's not a there's not a lot of difference makers at wide receiver. The running game is okay. Defense is okay. The the missed tackle on Josh Allen on the touchdown. I can't remember if it was to Diggs or not, but where Allen's buying time, flush from the pocket, buying time, running towards the sideline, gets tackled. The tackle slips out, and Allen throws a dart back across his body for a touchdown. I mean, I imagine Valachek's going to be pretty disappointed with that um, effort there. Josh Uche, a couple of sacks. Mm. Like, just just quickly yeah. to mention, like, you look back at the replay, that touchdown only happens because it looked like it was man-to-man and the Bills receiver's man just gave up on the play, just assumed, ah, Josh Allen's been flushed out, he's about to go out of bounds, my job's done. Mm. Um, and I think I think it was Diggs, but even if it wasn't, that Bills receiver, credit to him, you know, heads up play, realized, ah, my man's left me. I can pivot back to the inside of the end zone. And Josh Allen, because he's Josh Allen, just pushed aside the defender and went, now nah, I'm going to make one last play. And mm. we've seen over the last few weeks, those kinds of plays get picked. But this was the one that actually worked out for Josh Allen and he threw a touchdown. Absolutely. So the Bills roll on. They stay well and truly in contention to win that division. They stay well and truly in contention to get the number one seed in the AFC side of the playoff bracket, but they've got some work to do. They need to get the head-to-head back on their favor in terms of the Jets and the Dolphins, who they've got losses to um, this season. But let's move on then and preview all of the action. We want to start 
with some blockbusters. There are some big matchups this week. Uh, we're going to start with two of them. Um, let's go to the Dolphins at the 49ers. Um, the 8-3 and three Miami Dolphins, the 7-4 and four San Francisco 49ers. This is a massive matchup. Mike McDaniel returns to San Francisco um, to take on Kyle Shanahan. The Dolphins' offense is humming. The 49ers are rising after a slow start to the season. Jacko, what are your thoughts on this game coming in? Because it's a big one for both teams, I feel like. It, you know, these are two of the contenders on each side, of, you know, on each side of the conference divide. I love games like this because it's your classic matchup of, even if they're not statistically ranked one, essentially best offense versus best defense. Who comes out on top? Will it be the Dolphins and Tua and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell? Or will it be the 49ers defense with, you know, Nick Bosa and Fred Warner and those kinds of guys? These are the games I love because you get to see two uh, units face off against each other and prove to the world essentially who who is better in a, in a way that's very easy to judge. When you've got like two offenses going against each other, it's a bit of a weird thing to compare because it's like, well, they're playing in isolation to each other. So you can't really say one's better than the other because they haven't faced the same situation because they're facing different defenses. So the great thing about having mm. trying to compare an offense and a defense is you literally one-on-one -on -one comparing how does this unit go against this unit. Um, I'm very much of the... I, I very much have the thought that in most cases, defense defeats offense, um, which is why I feel like the 49ers mm. win this game. But if Tua can just unleash Tyreek Hill, um, then maybe it could be a little more interesting. But I don't know. This would be a great test for the Dolphins because, you know, they've got a great record at the top of their division. Um, and I think people have them like thereabouts in the sort of playoff picture in terms of how far they'll go. But I think they'll take this as an opportunity. If they can beat this 49ers defense, especially comfortably, I think it'll be really, it'll be a wake-up call for the league to go, okay, this team is not just great, but is up there to win the Super Bowl. Because if you want to win the Super Bowl, you've got to beat defenses mm. like this because defenses tighten up and they get really tough in the playoffs. And so I think they'll want to test themselves against this 49ers defense, the pass rush, the linebackers, the corners. Um, the 49ers offense is a bit of a mixed bag because, you know, you've got these great playmakers. You've got Debo Samuel. You've got George Kittle. You've got McCaffrey. Then you've got Jimmy G at quarterback, who's, like, good. He's a good quarterback, but I wouldn't say he's above that. And then the rest of their pieces are kind of all over the place. And, you know, they've got injuries. Um, so. I think it'll be one of those games where you're like, can't wait for Tua to go against 49ers defense. And then it'll switch over and you're like, okay, let's just wait for this drive to be over. Yeah, it's really interesting because uh, the, the 49ers have um, Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, uh, and Debo Samuel all on the um, 
injury report this week. McCaffrey and Mitchell both did not practice with knee injuries. Debo Samuel limited with a quadricep injury. Now, they've got plenty of weapons. That's the thing with both of these teams. There's plenty of weapons. I think Miami's run game, you know, they are, they are pass heavy. They are built around the passing game, obviously, with, you know, Waddle and um, Tyreek Hill ranking second in passing yards um, per game. They're 28th for rushing yards, um, the, the, the Dolphins. The, the, the 49ers, they're sort of that, like they're a great defense on, in both elements. They rank 11th for defending the run in terms of yards allowed, per, um, 11th in passing yards allowed per game. And first, for run stopping, just that 79 yards on the ground. But I, I really don't think the ground game matters as much for Miami in a sense. Like it's all about can the 49ers stop those fast receivers? I'm fascinated to see, you know, with guys like Hufanga for the 49ers who are just such, you know, such an aggressive DB. Um, I'm interested to see if they can shut down, not only shut down. Hill and Waddle, and maybe it's not so much a case of shutting them down, but making plays using the Dolphins' aggression against them. That'll that'll be my my big question. Do we come out of this? Is Tua still pristine, or do they find a way to upset his rhythm? Do they find a way to force some turnovers off Tua? This is a massive challenge um, for Tua and this Dolphins team, and I think it's it's a good time. It's a nice time of year to sort of acid test your process against one of the NFL's best defenses. Um, And uh, did you get your sicko spreadsheet pick out of the way on this one, Jacko? I know you've got one. Should should mention it before we move off this game. Mm. Um, I I am that confident in the 49ers defense that I'm taking them to cover as favorites minus three and a half against the Dolphins. I think this is going to be. Okay. I think this is going to be close. I don't. I don't think this is going to be a blowout. Um. Either way, I think it's going to be really close and competitive. But I think there comes a point where 49ers make a big stop, and that 49ers offense goes down and scores a winning touchdown and wins by more than more than three. Um. That, that's my kind of gut feeling. Is that I think. I think it'll be fun. I think no matter what the result is, I think it's going to be a really fun game. I just got a feeling that I don't know if I can trust Miami's. I'd much. I don't know if I can trust explosiveness as a trait to win a game. It's great to have, but I don't know if I can trust it necessarily compared to a defense that's stout. It's it doesn't give up a lot of yards. It's really great against the pass. Um, so I think I just got to lean into that, and I think we're going to see the 49ers win by, yeah, I reckon they win by a touchdown in this game. All right. Excellent. Like it, Jacko. Let's move on to another big matchup. This one is an AFC um, can, a match of the AFC contenders, perhaps. The Chiefs traveling to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. Of course, the Bengals played in a revenge factor matchup last week when they took on the Titans, who they'd knocked out in the playoffs earlier this year. The Bengals survived that one, 20 to 16, I think it was off the top of my head. Um, so they survived the revenge factor game. This one, 
um, has an additional spice to it. They beat the Chiefs uh, in Cincinnati last January on the 2nd of January, 34 to 31, one of the games of the season. Burrow and Jamar Chase absolutely tore it up. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs played pretty well as well to put up 31 points. And then in the AFC Championship game in Arrowhead, Cincinnati triumphing over the Kansas City Chiefs 27-24. And Kansas City had a pretty massive lead early in that game. Uh, the, the Bengals come back to win it in overtime, top of my head. That game got to overtime. For the, for the Bengals, I, th I think. Um, revenge factor. Revenge City. This is a massive game. Massive game in the context of, you know, the, the AFC. The, the Bengals now have the head-to-head -head record against the Titans. This is an opportunity for them to claim the head-to-head -head record against the Chiefs and potentially make a charge for the AFC number one seed. Now, that's a long way off at the moment, the Bengals, because they... They have got out to the gate to a slow start. They're seven and four. The Chiefs are nine and two. But I don't know. I, I think I think the Chiefs are going to have something special in store for the Bengals. Jamar Chase didn't play last week. Uh, I'm assuming he's going to be back this week. I would assume maybe that's why he didn't play last week to try and get him right for this game because he was the big difference maker for the Bengals last time against Kansas, Kansas City. What are you thinking, Jacko? Where are you at with this game? Chiefs at Bengals. Who comes out on top and why? If I know one thing, it's that I know that a lot mm. of AFC teams are going to be watching this game because mm. if there's any team that can beat the Chiefs, you feel like it's the Bengals just based on recent history. And so if the Chiefs drop to 9-3, and three, a lot of teams in the AFC that'll be, thank you very much, Cincinnati, we will take advantage mm. of that and try and steal that one seat. Because I think we've said over the last few weeks that it's the Chiefs to lose this one seed. Um, if if Jamar Chase plays, I think I give Cincinnati a real shot. I really do. I think it's coin flip. If he doesn't mm. play, I feel like that's what they'll be missing. The game will end. Kansas City will win. It'll be a close win. And you'd be like, ah, imagine if they had Jamar Chase on that, you know, third and 11 throw in the fourth quarter. Man, that would have changed the mm. game. So I really think it hinges on him. And I don't know how updated this injury report is, but apparently he was limited, which I guess is good, better than could be. Uh, so I don't know whether or not he is designated to play. Maybe it might be a game time decision. So to me, I don't know about you, but I feel like it hinges on that. If Chase plays, coin flip, any of the, but, but who knows who'll win this game. But if Chase doesn't play, mm. I think it'll be the little bit of special that they will be lacking that they'll need to beat a team like, to beat a team like the Chiefs. Yeah, no, fully agree there. I think Jamar Chase is a massive part of the Bengals being able to make this three wins in a row against the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, Two wins is one thing. Three in a row would be something else um, in, in such a short span of time. I and mean, these teams normally don't play sort of every year. It's normally every sort of four years, um, three or four years, and that they've 
the the Bengals currently hold a four and one record the last five games against the Chiefs, including twice this year, twice in 2022. So I'll be going with the Chiefs just because I don't think you beat this Chiefs team three times in a row. But tell you what, if anyone can do it, it's Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, uh, and the Bengals. Let's move on to a game that's very, very close to your heart, Jacko. As the Minnesota Vikings welcome the New York Jets. Mike fucking White and the New York Jets. Mr. White um, enters the building. I'm not going to do a big preamble on this because I just want to look. You can set it up in many ways better than I can. Where are you at with this game? Is Is this a banana peel potential for the Vikings? Are you feeling confident? How do you think this rolls for the Vikes? who have that division sewn up. Yeah, I think it's practically sewn up, and I think it will be literally sewn up if we win and the Lions lose. Then you could lose every single game mm. and you would still win the division. Um, so ah, this game's tough because I don't know what to think. If Mike White looks like he did last week, then we're in real trouble because... Our defense plays such soft coverage, and we're at what? What is this, week 13? Like, mm. they're not changing the game plan. If they thought the soft coverage wasn't working, they would have changed it weeks ago. So the fact that they're sticking with it means they're sticking with it. And the fact that we play so soft in the pass defense really would worry me if Mike White's going to throw 300-plus yards again, which I wouldn't put it past him because we just let Mac Jones throw for 300-plus yards. And he barely hit 200 on Thursday night football. So our, our defense, specifically our secondary, is I think a Caleb Evans is meant to come back. He's one of our cornerbacks. Um, so that'll help. But even so, um, the fact that Dantzler is not playing because he's on IR, like that just really, really hurts us. So the Jets will be going like, this is our opportunity. Two bad defenses in a row. We can try and put up not just wins, but good wins. Uh, so I think if our defense is going to do anything, it needs to get pressure. Cause I think that's the thing that Mike White didn't face last week was he could just sit in the pocket and, you know, he's an okay quarterback, if not a good quarterback, depending on who he's playing. So just if he's given time to look through and make the progressions, he'll make the right call. So if we can just get pressure on him, I think that'll go a long way. And in our offense, it's like the Jets' defense is really good. So I think we just got to let Justin Jefferson get loose. Like, run the ball as much as we have to, but I feel like we've got to be aggressive. Don't be scared of Source Gardner. Like, attack him. Make him make decisions uh, and, and play aggressive. And I think that'll be the game plan going into this game for the Vikings. Yeah, it's it's really interesting this matchup to me and particularly the matchup between Justin Jefferson and Sauce Gardner. The the Jets rank eight in the league for passing yards allowed per game, um, allowing 197 yards through the air per game. The, the Vikings are 32nd for passing yards allowed on defense per game. Really interesting one. And I think a, I think a massive part of it does come down to to whether Jefferson gets loose on Source Gardner or 
does Source Gardner do a job? If Gardner would, would have ever shut down Jefferson to the level that you remember early in the season, Jefferson just had that patch where I don't know if it was just he faced a couple of good cornerbacks or a really good defensive scheme that took him out of it, whatever it was, where he had those sort of quiet weeks. And it meant teams would get a lot closer to this Vikings side. I think I think Gardner v. Jefferson is is the matchup. Like it's it's not the be all and the end all of the ball ball game, but it's a pretty massive part of it. Um, you know, if you can expose one of the Jets' best weapons, you know, in their star cornerback, or if you can expose the Vikings, you know, or not expose, but rather you know contain one of the Vikings' best weapons. I think that that that's huge. I think it's a tough one. Like you say, you know, the, the Vikings play this soft coverage, um, but they do have this ability to make plays, to, to come up with turnovers. Mike White showed he could be patient and drive the field against the Bears. Like he made good decision after good decision after good decision. I think it is possible you get two good Mike White games in a row, but I think it's also possible that we're, we're I said it, I think a couple of podcasts ago, like, there's there's a countdown clock to when Mike White turns into the other Mike White again. So is that this week? Is it next week? Is it in another couple of weeks? Like the the jury is out on that. We just wait for it to happen, in my opinion. Um, you know, his four starts last year were were totally up and down. He'd play a game like he did last year. I think he threw four hundred yards on the Bengals. Yeah. You know, and then he turned in a uh, you know performance where he threw two or three interceptions. Like I think you could easily see either this week, but I think it's safe to say that either performance is possible. Um, the the over under the total for this game I think it was forty four and a half, was it, or forty three and a half? I wondered if like that was a little bit low. Uh, forty four and a half. I suppose they're thinking that maybe the Jets will be able to get some defensive stops or something. And likewise, you know, like, I, I don't know. I saw this could easily be like the Patriots Vikings game from last week. Um, yeah. Cause the Jets like have better receiving weapons than the Patriots did. Oh yeah. I, I, this, this Jets offense could really be something with Mike White or just a competent quarterback. Uh, so the fact that we gave up so many yards to the Patriots, it's like, yeah, it's concerning. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Big test for both. And these are the wins that, you know, the Vikings, they, they're nine and two. These are the games that the Eagles won't drop. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that's that's something. The Eagles have done a pretty good job of, of you know, just continuing to stack wins. So if you want to get in that number one seed, you've got to stack these wins. The, we know the division is sewn up. So, well, and I, I think it's sewn up, even if not mathematically yet. It, it'll be sewn up in the next couple of games, yeah. one way or another. So you're playing with a bit of house money in terms of the division. So can you make that extra push and go for the number one seed and get you know your first playoff game in your own building? All that sort of stuff that would be massive for the Vikings. Um, I think they can do it, Jacko. I think they can do it, but they need that defense to step up and make some plays on the weekend against a pretty talented Jets offense. Source Gardner, there's a lot on your shoulders, buddy. All right, let's talk now about a game that has 
a revenge factor in it, and that is the Titans and the Eagles. Um, AJ Brown traded during the offseason to the Eagles. I think there's been a bit of chirp back and forth between them. Um, I was disappointed last week, Jacko, when the Titans lost to Cincinnati. I thought that was pretty a pretty disappointing effort from from Tennessee in a game that they would have been fired up to win. I thought they went pretty tamely in the end uh, against a Bengals side that you know lacked its best weapon. They just couldn't get Derrick Henry going outside of one long, um, rumbling reception that was eventually you know recovered in the end zone by Traylon Burks for a touchdown after they forced a fumble on Henry. The Eagles, they've got an issue stopping the run and they've obviously made some moves in, you know, free agency to, to try and fix that, bringing in players like Ndomukin Sue before the deadline. They haven't really managed to stop it. There were some plays last week that you saw on film ESPN did a good breakdown of that uh, of where the Eagles just aren't you know block, d- defending the run very well at all um so uh, that figures as a this like we were saying earlier with the the game for the Vikings of like this is a big test uh, we we've talked a lot of tests for the Dolphins and for, against the 49ers this is a big test for the Eagles against a team that loves nothing more than to run the ball into your skull repeatedly. This is massive. How do you see this one playing out? It's interesting because you think of the Titans as like this rushing I think it is. juggernaut with, with, with Derrick Henry, but they're ranked 12th with rush yards per game. Mm. Like they're not actually... Mm. They don't run the ball as well as you would think that they do. Um, and Derrick Henry has had some games this season where he's underperformed, you know, by his own standards that he's set very highly for himself. Um, whereas the Eagles, like, they are that rushing juggernaut. And I think it's because of the spread of uh, running backs and quarterback that that run the ball. Um, but Tennessee, credit to them. The, the rushed statistic that they are great in is stopping the run. They're third in the league against the run. So I think that'll be the more interesting story is how does Tennessee stop Philadelphia's run game more than how do Philadelphia stop Titans and, and uh, Derrick Henry? Uh, I Yeah, I was similar to you. I, I lost a lot of faith after the last Titans game. I was like, ah, I think they, they're too... They don't have enough dynamicness to their team. I like their coach. I like their defense. But even their defense, like, gives up big plays and isn't as uh, damaging as I thought that they would they could be. So this is the kind of game, like, this could be a good bounce-back game for the Titans. If the Titans go out and beat the Eagles, then I might be back on the Titans train. Like, okay, every team is allowed a bit of a bad patch. All right, maybe they're good again, but if they lose the Eagles, then you start to wonder. Okay, maybe they're a wild card, or not a wild card. They'll probably win their division, but like, maybe they're one and done in the playoffs. I just don't think they have enough. Maybe in a couple of years they could be really good, even next year, with just a couple pieces mm-hmm. here and there. Right now, I feel like they're just they just don't have enough. They feel like they're missing a few pieces that a lot of these great teams um, already have. 
Yeah, absolutely. It feels like for the Titans to really compete come playoff time, they need guys like Traylon Burks to suddenly burst into their draft potential. And I think that can happen. You know, I think you've seen some good young wide receivers this year in Christian Watson for the Packers, uh, Garrett Wilson for the Jets, George Pickens for the, the Steelers. I'm probably missing, you know, some other obvious ones, but there's, there's receivers around the league who are drafted this year who are making big strides. And I think you've started to see it from Traylon Burks. Uh, but that's really what you need to happen. Having said that, the Eagles are excellent defending the pass and they lead the league in turnover differential. They're plus 12. I think this has the potential to be one of those Ryan Tannehill throws two interceptions games. Um, just because of the way this Eagles defense, they're, they're aggressive. They've got some playmakers. And I think they're going to run the ball well. This is like, uh, if the Titans can't possess the football, I, I think they're a lesser side. You, you know, the, the, the Titans need to be able to grind you with long drives. I don't know that the Eagles are going to let them do that. Like I said, I... We've talked about it before that, you know, bozos like us can sit around and go, oh, the Titans, the, the Eagles, they're not very good at defending the run. You know, they're going to get run on. And as we said a few podcasts ago, like, would you know who else knows that? The coaching staff, the guys who are employed day in, day out to fix what's wrong. And, and so I think you see this all the time, you know, with teams, you know, where they go through these patches during the year, they, they get out of the gate hot. And all anyone wanted to do to start the year was talk about how good the Eagles are in both on both sides of the ball in the trenches. Defensive line's amazing. The offensive line's amazing. Okay, now teams have worked out how to run on them. And now the Philadelphia Eagles coaching staff has you know, a near on two-month stretch left in the season to work out how to stop that from happening. So it would not surprise me at all if this is the game where they come in and like, oh, and Dominican Sue finally, you know, hits his stride. The Eagles defensive line hits their stride. They stop the run. They limit what Henry can do. Tannehill throws a couple of picks and the Eagles win like 24 to 10 or something like that. Um, the Titans have been good against the spread, though. They've covered a lot this season. I think they're eight and three. Um, so five point underdogs probably actually in some ways feels generous, but then it's so hard, Jacko. Like an episode or two ago, I was talking about how underrated the Titans are, but that, that Bengals game really shook me. It really shook and my faith look at in their them. Wins. Their wins haven't been that impressive as well. I think at the end of mm. the day, they, they need a signature win and they didn't get it against Cincinnati. This you feel like is their last chance in terms of like, if they want to, stay in that upper echelon of like great teams in the AFC. Mm. They lose this, not saying season's over, but like they get pretty concretely put in a lower category and I don't see them escaping it um, no matter how the rest of the season goes. Like if you lose Cincinnati and the Eagles, I don't know what their remaining schedule looks like, but I imagine they won't really get as good of an opportunity to prove themselves against a really great team, which you've just got to do like I know playoffs are a whole new season, but in terms of the minds of fans and and the football world, if you want to be respected, you've got to get signature wins. Um, and they know that, and so they're going to come out. This will be a physical game. I know that. I don't think the Titans are going to give up in this game. I think they're going to fight to the end, but they just don't have enough. They just don't have enough to do it. 
Yeah, no, absolutely agree. Let's move on to a game, an NFC East divisional clash. And this is a clash we're going to get twice in three weeks. And this shapes as season-defining, a season-defining two-game stretch for these two teams. And that is the Washington Commanders at the New York Giants. The Giants will return the favor and visit um, the Commanders in a couple of weeks' time after they go on by. Massive, massive game here because the Commanders at seven and five, the Giants at seven and four. Giants were hot to start the year and they've been slipping since, as predicted on this very podcast. I said the Giants are going to lose more games than they win in the second half of the season because they've been playing above and beyond the sum of their parts. Um, and the Commanders, you said they're six and one in their last seven games, Jack. Is that what you said to me on the last podcast? Six and one yeah. in the last seven games for the for the, for the commies. Um, this is massive. The Giants have to at least split this this home away series. Um, if they go, you know, if, I, I suppose if either of these sides go zero and two in this stretch, it, it could be playoff hopes over. You know, because the Giants are going to have a nice little head-to-head record against the Commies or or vice versa. How do you think this one plays out? Where, what's, where's your gut at with this? Do the Giants – are you on board with the blue slide? You know, I'm saying Giants are sliding. Are you on board with this or do you think I'm mad? No, I don't – well, I do think you're mad, but I also agree. Uh, I, th- I think the <laughs> okay. Giants I, – I think they're – they're facing Washington at the wrong time. They're slipping, mm-hmm. the Giants, and the Commanders are riding high. They're winning games. They're competitive. Taking command. They are taking command at the highest order. Um, so I think the Giants really... I think both teams have given up on the division. It'll be Eagles or Cowboys that win this division. Yeah. No way either of these teams goes that far. So it almost feels like one of these teams makes playoffs in a sense, you know, like there might be a reality where they both make playoffs, but it feels like this will be a game where, especially if one of these teams goes two and O and gets that head to head. Um, Yeah. Just massive playoff uh, implications. The giants, if they rely, this is the issue. If they rely on Saquon Barkley and he's great, they win. They, they, they're a good football team. But when they rely on him and he can't move the ball, they don't really have much else. Um, whereas Washington, with all their deficiencies, at least they manage to spread the ball around and find other ways to win, even if they don't have as high of a ceiling as the Giants. Um, I think that actually works against the Giants in this case because the commanders will just focus on stopping Barkley and forcing them to do other things which they're just not as good at. Here's here's some some numbers for you, some stats. The last month of football for the Giants, they are one and three after starting this the year uh, six and one. The loss at Seattle, Saquon has twenty carries for fifty three yards, two point six yards per attempt. The next week he has thirty five carries for one hundred and fifty two yards, four point three yards per attempt. 
Next game, home against the Lions. They lose 31 to 18. Saquon, 15 carries, 22 yards at 1.5 yards per attempt. And last week at Dallas, they lose. He has 11 carries for 39 yards at 3.5 yards per attempt. This is their next month, Jacko. Sorry, this is their close to the season. Home Commanders, home Eagles, at Commanders, at Vikings, home Colts, at Eagles. Rugged as fuck. Yep. Yeah. That's tough. That's a tough run home, which you don't want when you're trying to get a bit of momentum going into the playoffs. Like you're not, you're not a team that's, you haven't set up your division. You don't have like a weak division or anything. You're like, you're in the thick of it, trying to fight for a spot. And I guess for the Giants, like they could look at it and go, hey, if we're going to make playoffs, we deserve it because we've gone through these teams and won enough games to win. Um, but you feel like, I think that's what makes this game so important. It's like, you want to be in the playoffs and like do something, beat the commanders, mm-hmm. beat Washington, and yeah. then beat them again after the bye. And then see where you're at. You know, you'll be, they'll be what, nine and four if they beat Washington twice. Um, yeah. So then you're in a good position to like, okay, might lose a game here or there, might lose to the Eagles, you know, might lose to the Vikings, but like win the other games and you feel like you'll be in a better spot. You lose this game and all of a sudden, even more questions start to arise. Yeah, 100%. I think this next two, this two game stretch for these sides is, is massive. Um, and like we said, the Giants have a rugged finish because you have to go at you know to the Vikings, you have to go to Philly, you've got to host Philly. So there's three games that you're automatically, you know, pretty massive underdogs in. Um yeah, it's it's big. So big couple of weeks coming up in this NFC East race for third place. All right, it's time to go speed round, Jacko. It's time to go speed round. Oh, yes. And I'm going to throw to you first here, and I'm going to throw uh, to a game at Soldier Field where I believe Justin Fields will be taking to the field. Do the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers continue to own the Chicago Bears, or do the Bears get one back on the ledger against them? I throw to you for 60 seconds on this game. This feels like the game where Chicago actually does something when nothing matters in their season. It's all over. They get something to be proud of in the season. I think Chicago win. I think, I think Aaron Rodgers is pushing through an injury. I I think, I I think he shouldn't be playing. I think he's forcing through an injury. I think we're going to see some picks by Rodgers again. Um, I think the return of fields is going to rejuvenate that offense. I don't think Green Bay's defense this season has shown any reason to trust them. Um, and yeah, the the Packers offense not only has been great, or not great, they've been improved recently with Christian Watson. And yes, they're playing Chicago's defense. So I think this comes down to like, both of these defenses are shit. More so Chicago, but even Green Bay, they're not <laughs> they're not that great. So it's more like the offense. Who do I trust more? Aaron Rodgers with a banged up hand and what an oblique injury he's coming off. And Mm. yeah, Christian Watson, but still, they're still building that chemistry. Or do I trust Justin Fields who, 
yes, he doesn't have that many great receivers, but it hasn't mattered for this offense because he just runs the ball, passes the ball. He seems way mm. more, believe it or not, with this current situation, in a two-minute drill to win the game, I trust Fields more than Rogers because I feel like the <sighs> pressure is going to get to that Rogers offense. Yes, Jake, no. I do. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I think the Packers... Bears fans need over. a tissue. Oh, yes. The, the Bears fans <laughs> haven't had much to get excited about, so I'm trying to, like, rev them up. I think this is well, it. I, I think the Packers come in. They think they're hot shit. They think they've been good over the last few weeks, but they're going to face a Chicago offense that's just going to go off. I don't think it's going to be, like, 45 to 41, but I do think this is a game where both defenses give up a lot of points, and it's going to come down to a final drive somewhere. And I think if it's the Green Bay Packers, I think it's going to be like one of those drives that's really ugly and there's a misthrow here because of Rogers' hand or like Christian Watson makes a drop, something like that. Whereas if it's a final drive for the Bears, I see Green Bay's defense going, oh, we've got to stop the pass. No deep passes because we can't let them score here. And then Justin Fields just rips it for a 60-yard run into the end zone. Uh, this feels like it's primed for a Bears win and then they do nothing this season. Like, I think it's a one-and-done, like, they were great mm. against the Packers, and then they were shit the rest of the season. Um, I just, I feel like the NFL universe is on the Packers too early. I don't know what they've done mm. to earn it. I really don't. I think the Bears win this one. I haven't picked them to win. It's not my sicko pick, because as much as I love okay. this story I'm creating, and as much as I am somewhat confident in it, uh, I'm liking where a sicko pick win-loss ratio is at, so I don't want to uh, taint it too early. But I am, I do have a sticker pick on this game, though, and it's the over, which okay. I mentioned. I think there's going to be a lot of points in this. Um, and the over is set at, uh, well, it says 43.5 here, but I think I found it at 44.5, if I find correctly. Yeah, 44.5, okay. which is where I'm it's taking probably, it at, yeah, um, on spot. Moved. So uh, I'm right, taking the so... over 44.5. Perfect. Well, I was going to take the Packers to cover three and a half points as favorites, but your pitch has put me off it. I don't want it anymore. Uh, I'm throwing it off the Are you sure? I don't want to like no, change yes. your no, no. about your decision. I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. And you have, you know, you've got to know when to fold them. I don't trust it. Mm. I don't trust this Packers team to cover three and a half. You're right. What yes. have they done this season yes. to earn it? I'm off it. All right, I will give us 60-ish seconds on this next yeah, game. The Steelers. <laughs> that's all right. The Steelers at the Falcons. Um, this game started with the Falcons just favored. It's now tipped for the Steelers to be just favored. My Steelers are starting to work some stuff out. We're starting to get back to playing Steelers football. Kenny Pickett is improving. Kenny Pickett is by far the best quarterback in this game. Um, you know, Kenny Pickett would run this offense for the Falcons better than Marcus Mariota would. He's, he's starting to get that feeling too. And I saw a few fans on Twitter. This is going to go over 60 seconds. So deal with it. Um, Kenny Pickett is starting to get that presence where you're like, I believe we can score points when Kenny Pickett and the offense come on the field. And that has not been the case for Steelers fans in a while. Watching this Steelers offense has been it has been a hard slog at least the last couple of seasons. 
Kenny Pickett's starting to move the ball and he's got a really nice target in George Pickens and he's got a really nice secondary receiver in uh, Deontay Johnson. He's got a really nice safety outlet in Pat Fryermuth. And the running game is starting to get back. It's all I've asked for, for Christmas. The last few years, Jacko, is can we please run the fucking football? The Steelers had 200-yard rushing games in their first, I think, six or seven weeks of the season. They've had four back-to-back games of 100-plus rushing yards. They're starting to get back to stopping the run. They rank sixth for stopping the run. That's where the game is going to be won and lost. If the Steelers stop the run, they are going to pick Marcus Mariota off at will if this Falcons team is forced to pass. I am taking the Pittsburgh Steelers to win this game, not just cover. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying they're going to win. They're going to win this game. And I'm also taking George Pickens to score a touchdown at any time in this match. I think the Steelers, we're not making playoffs, but we're going to be that berserker team down the stretch that no one really wants to play. That's what they are, the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're the berserker that might just kill off a few teams' playoff chances. And I think it starts this week in Atlanta. He might have small hands, but he's big dick Kenny Pickett. All right. Um, Jacko. I pivot to you now to talk about a game between the big cats, but they're not that big on the NFL field this year. Uh, The Jags at the Lions. Take it away, sir. I predicted uh, early in the preseason, I was predicting that the Jags would have a winning season. Don't know if we're going to get exactly that. I feel like by the end of the season, they're going to be a game under 500, sadly. But I do think Jacksonville has found something. I think Trevor Lawrence had his coming out party against the Ravens in that comeback win. Um, I I still think they're a few pieces away from becoming a real threat. But I think on offense, they've got some playmakers. I think Trevor Lawrence is like of all the young quarterbacks, like, I mean, like, you know, first, second, third year quarterbacks. Yeah. I think he's at the top of that bunch. I really do. I, I, I know he hasn't shown it statistically, but I don't think he's had much to work with. And he had a year, like some people have made the argument that this is his rookie year, that you just discount the Urban Meyer year because that was just yeah. such a shithouse year. This is his first year with a competent coach, a good system. Um, So I feel the Jags have found something on offense and their defense just continues to be like, meh. Um, Detroit are kind of similar in that, like, they have something on offense. They are, can be, not always, but they can be a really potent offense. Um, it's their defense where they just fail to, um, make the, make their mark. Um, so this could be a high scoring game. Um, I'm not taking any sicko pick on it, but I, I could see this. Well, I get, you look at the, the over and under on this game and it makes sense. It's 51 and a half. Mm. So the market knows it's going to be a lot of scoring in this game. Yeah. They know the lion's den likes points. That's what happens oh, when, yes. when you go to Ford field. Um, like it, Jacko, I am going to talk about the Browns at the Texan Texans. This has been, you know, the elephant in the room, the Sean Watson's return. I haven't discussed the Browns a lot on this podcast, um, but you know, we're, we're going to be forced to. Um, it's been handy that they've been sort of an irrelevant franchise. But, but Jacko, this is a massive, uh, ter- a potential massive, massive pivot point in the league 
Um, I don't think the Texans have any chance of winning this game. I think the Browns are going to come into this game, run it down their throat. I don't know, win 20 to 10, 20 to three. I don't, I, the, the Texans are tanking for whoever their next, you know, franchise man is. But it's a pivot point, Jacko, and I want to take my 60 seconds to talk about this because we're about to see over the next, you know, six, seven games what this experiment looks like. Because Cleveland went and signed this guy that was a toxic property. And let's face it, if it wasn't the Browns, it would have been somebody else. That is part of the reality of the NFL. Um, there is a, a, a lack of, of, of strict morals, despite how many advertising campaigns they, they want to run about inclusivity and, and, all, and all that sort of thing and equality. And um, there's a lot of lip service. So this is a massive pivot point in the league because if Deshaun Watson comes out and looks great across the next six weeks, and if Deshaun Watson comes out and leads the Browns to the playoffs you know, in 2023 or a Super Bowl title, then I, I wonder, it really just opens things up for other teams to not give a fuck, you know, and there'll be plenty of teams willing to not give a fuck about the morality of signings and that sort of thing. And I know there'll be fans listening to this podcast saying, well, it's not their job to worry about morality. Well, as leaders in their communities, it is. You are more than just a business. Um, there's a great line in the show, Billions, uh, when the main character is trying to buy an NFL franchise. And a fellow billionaire says to him, uh, and I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something to the effect of sporting franchises are how we knight people in this country. And that's true. It's a big mm. deal to own a sports franchise. And to me, you should be setting an example. Um, the Cleveland Browns have not. But this could be a pivot point because if this all goes well, then all bets are off and anyone can be signed um, for any amount of money, um, regardless of what they've done. So, anyway, or allegedly well done. Thank you. Um, all right. You can talk, Jacko, about the Colts at the Cowboys. Jeff Saturday. He had the potential to be, to be Jeff Sunday, but so far he's still looking like Jeff Saturday. Yeah, hasn't moved. I feel like he's Saturday evening. Like he's getting close to being Jeff Sunday, <laughs> but he's not, so he close. hasn't quite gotten over the hump. Uh, this might be the game. There's no way the Colts win this game. No way. But if they do, maybe they go. You're saying maybe, there's a chance. Yeah, I'm saying there's a chance. And maybe that clock strikes midnight and all of a sudden, like, oh, this, there's no Saturday in this room. This is Jeff, Jeff Sunday back there. I, 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 but in reality, though, like, Dallas, they're just on a run. They're going to continue to win games. They're going to dominate. Uh, it's it's a shame that this is a primetime game because, you know, you look forward to those games as ones you sit down and watch in isolation and hope it's a good match. But the Colts just don't have enough uh, on defense, really. Like, I, I know we like to talk about the offense and Matt Ryan and Jonathan Taylor, but I really think this is more about the defense. And I don't think that their defense is going to be able to stop Dallas and how they run the ball with Elliott and Pollard and how they throw the ball with, you know, Dak Prescott throwing a CeeDee Lamb and, you know, all those guys. Th th this could be blowout material. Uh, but from a Colts perspective, I mean, I, I think I said it before, if they want to keep Jeff Saturday, they've got to go 500 
over the next few games. So that means you probably can lose some games and this is probably the game that you lose. Uh, but hey, if they they got within a point of the Eagles, and I know that was a couple of weeks ago and things have changed, and I'm not saying the Colts win. I'm not even saying they get close. But the fact that they did mm-hmm. against the Eagles, I don't know. Keep Keep your eye on it. That's all I'm saying. I think the problem for the, and I thought this watching Jonathan Taylor run the ball against the Steelers last week, was sometimes you're just like, okay, so we've got the, the, the scheme right to block this run, but, but Jonathan Taylor's just a fucking athletic freak, and he just bowls guys over and bursts past, you know, tacklers. And so you go, what are we meant to do to, to guard against this superhuman? Like, we, we have to have superhumans. The Cowboys have that superhuman. They have Micah Parsons. Um, and if the Cowboys, if, if, the, if the Colts can't run this ball, they are in worlds of hurt against this Cowboys team. This, this Colts offensive line, it's got its injuries. They have to show up. They have to show up and, and block some run lanes and try and protect Matt Ryan. But yeah, Micah Parsons, I'll beat the drum every week. Uh, should be in the league MVP discussions. Oh, yeah not just Defensive Player of the Year. I'll talk about the Broncos at the Ravens. Yay! Mm, fun. I, I don't know what to do about the Broncos. Like, I keep trying to include them uh, in my sicko picks, but I just don't know. Like, I keep going, like, I'll just, I'll just, you know, bet their unders or bet their team unders or... I don't... But at a certain point, it just becomes, like, sad. Like, how bad can yeah. they be? That That's the question right now about the Broncos. Just when you think, I keep thinking, oh, they'll turn the corner this week. You know, the old Russell Wilson will show up. The Broncos will do something. They'll put up, you know, 20 points on an opponent. Well, but you know who didn't show I up, just... Jake? Half of the team who? to Russell Wilson's birthday on the weekend. Apparently, this is a report that came out mm. that it was Russell Wilson's birthday and only half the team showed up. Who knows if it's true? A lot of these stories, I go like, ah, maybe it's just a little bit of, you know, journalist hoo-ha to try yeah. and, you know, feed into the, the storyline of this Broncos uh, capitulation. But it also strikes me as possibly true. So no one's going to show up because they don't show up in, in games or at birthday parties. Absolutely. And the, the Ravens are weird too. They've kind of scraped through the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, uh, you, you wonder about the Ravens, you know, in their passing game. Like it's one thing to rely, you know, to, to be built around the run. It's another thing to have nothing really of, of, you know, nothing in the wide receiver game. And, you know, I know Rashad Bateman was their number one and he's gone down, but I don't know. I, I just see them sort of struggling and feeling one dimensional and Lamar Jackson is amazing and he can ad lib his way out of a lot of stuff. But yeah, I think the Ravens win this one in a fugly kind of contest. I, I see it like, you know, the Ravens win it like 13 to seven or 13, 10 yeah. or something like that. 17, 10. Um, the Broncos defense, I feel bad for them. They've fought so hard this year. Yes. And I put up a stat a few weeks ago. I was like, if the, if the Broncos scored, um, you know, I think it was like 18 points in all of their first 10 games in regulation, they'd be nine and one or something. Um, <laughs> So you just go, That's brutal. good Lord. Yeah, it is 
absolutely brutal. Like if you said Russell Wilson's going to come over, um, do you think they'll score over or under 18 points per game? You'd be like, well, you know, at least score 20 points per game. Yeah, sure. Um, Speaking of Russell Wilson, let's pivot to the franchise that he used to play for, somebody that he used to know, the Seahawks at the Rams, Jacko. John Wolford has been named as the starter for the Rams. The wrong move, in my opinion, because I like Bryce Perkins. Um, How do you think this game plays out? This is must win for Seattle. Like, they're six and five. Like the Giants, they've started slipping after a hot start. If you want to get in the playoffs and you want to do something, you've got to beat the Rams, who have done nothing. They've been horrendous this season. And they're going to be even worse, because I'm pretty sure if he's not out, he's definitely limited. Um, Aaron Donald Mm. is probably not going to be playing in this game. So the one guy, just looking at, yeah, did not play in practice. And I'm pretty sure I read something that he's not expected to play. So their best player is not... Their best player in Cooper Cup already hasn't been playing this season. And now, arguably, their second best player, or at least equal to Cooper Cup in terms of the influence on that team, Aaron Donald's not playing. So you have to win this. I don't even care how. Win by one point. Don't care. Just win. Get to seven and five. Just do it. Won't accept. If they lose to the Rams, I'm off. Seahawks don't don't deserve to play playoffs. And, and the Rams... I don't, yeah. know what, I don't know what they're doing this season. Like, I don't know what their future looks like. Because a lot of teams in their position, you go, well, you know, let's try and get some, you know, time into young players, focus on next season. But they, they can't get any young players. <laughs> they don't have any draft picks. So I don't know what they're going to do as an organization. Um, I think they're, they're pretty happy that Denver is as sad as they are. Because if it wasn't for Denver, maybe the Rams would be the saddest franchise this season. Yeah, I... I... I'm interested to see what happens, you know, with the Rams because, you know, people have sort of talked about, oh, they're going to have no picks. Well, there's still a lot of talent on the roster that if you wanted to reset the age demographic of the roster, you could still trade out for pretty high round parts. Someone will give up a first rounder. You know, if you, like I'm saying, if Sean McVay retires and the Rams like, fuck, you know, if Aaron Donald retires and it's just like, we've just got to reset the board, you can get a first round for, for Cooper Cup. You can oh, probably yeah. get a first round pick for J- Jalen Ramsey, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Like, they, they've definitely got parts they could trade out to, to hit the draft again. But yeah, I think it makes some sense, really, to, to, to put Donald on ice. And, and I wonder if yeah. going so badly this year is the inspiration to come back next year. Like, yeah. They didn't walk away on the, the high of a Super Bowl, but you don't want to walk away on this low either. Um, so, yeah, but I, I'm with you. Seahawks have to have to start winning because the 49ers are going to run away with that division otherwise. Um, all right, let's l- talk about the Saints at the Buccaneers. I think this could be one of the ugliest games of the week. There's a few great games and a few ugly games. This, this weekend is kind of like Beauty and the Beast. The games either feel like, you know, beautiful little diamonds or horrifying lumps of coal. And I'm okay with both. I'm an absolute fucking sicko, so I'm fine to watch this game that I think is going to be about Saints. uh, What what did you say? Bucks, 17, Saints, 14. 
or something, Saints 16 or I don't know. Either way, I think it's going to go under 40 and a half points. 40 and a half points? Pretty sure the Saints beat the Bucks nine to nothing last season. It was last season, I think, in the something second like game of the year against them. Um, this is going under 40 and a half points. Brady, it's not even a must win. Like this division, the NFC South is so shit. The Bucks can lose this and they can still win that division. The Saints probably need to win it to stay in the hunt. But I yeah. think the Bucks get it done in a low scoring grind. I think Rashad White plays nicely for them. I th- yeah, like I said, that's sort of my prediction. Bucks sort of 17, 20 points to the Bucks, 10 to 17 points. And either way, it goes under the 40 and a half. So that's my thoughts on Saints at Bucks. It's really sad. There's a lot, if you look statistically, there is some similarities between Brady this year and Brady in his final year in New England when he'd started to look mm. kind of mortal because the talent around wasn't doing as much. And, you know, it's a totally different team. I think the energy's just been wrong about this team all season. Um, I'm off them as a threat for the Super Bowl, even yeah. though I was on it a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm a podcaster. I was on the preseason. I, I'm allowed to preseason. I thought that they would. Yeah go all, all the way. Um, but see, speaking of Sicko, I do also have a Sicko pick in this game, so we'll have to make sure we watch this Ooh! game. Because I am picking the Saints to cover as underdogs plus three and a half. Mm. I feel like it's going to be nice. close and ugly. I don't think there's going to be many points and many opportunities for the Bucks to blow away. I think the Bucks still win, though, but I think they win by a field goal, and that's why the three and a half is so tasty, because that's still a win. Don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but I'm on Nick Chubb to score an anytime touchdown in the Texans oh, nice. game. Texans Browns. Don't know if I mentioned it in the thing, but yeah, Nick Chubb to score a tuddy. Uh, all right, take us home, Jacko. Chargers at Raiders. It's 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 crunch time here for the Chargers. Oh yes, I'm going to take us home, country road style, uh, with the Raiders <laughs> and the Chargers. I don't know what to think about either of these teams, and I don't think I'm going to watch this game. I just, like, flat out, I don't know. I don't know what the Chargers are. I don't know what the Raiders are. They could be good. They could be shit. That's my analysis. I don't know what the, I don't know what these two games are. If you have some more interesting thoughts about these two, please go ahead. But to me, they have no identity. They've been sometimes good, sometimes bad for no reasons whatsoever. I guess the one thing is the Chargers are technically still trying to make playoffs, whereas the Raiders have pretty much given up on that. Um, The Chargers are sort of in a win now, win forever, win always position. You start to lose some games, and in that AFC, you probably lost a spot. So they probably have to win this game if they want to stay in it, but this this could be ugly. A lot of punts. That that Saints-Bucks is Monday Night Football. Good God. Um, Even uglier. Um, the yeah, no, this is this is absolutely must win Chargers territory. So I, I agree with that fully. Justin Herbert's still playing really well. Um, they've they've been really injury struck. So I I don't know. You know, I'm trying to fairly evaluate them. I feel like I say it every week. I, I'm not the world's biggest Brandon Staley fan, but then again, I do have to factor in the fact that. You know, some of these teams that aren't doing as well as we thought they might have had to deal with injury 
to you know to key pieces it's been an energy factor for me about the charges they just they just don't seem to bring that same level of energy and aggression that that some other teams do even when those teams are you know don't have their key pieces around you got to win this as the charges you have to win it to to stay alive um in the race for the playoffs it's like you said it's it's, it's sort of must win territory because other teams are around you this is an opportunity to to move ahead of the patriots in that wild card yes. race this is a chance if the jets lose to to start moving on the the jets position in the playoffs so it, it, yeah it's 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 start winning as you said win now win forever so I, I agree with you fully there all right that is it that's the show that's our week 13 preview that's our thursday night football recap we'll be back aiming to be back tuesday night for aussie listeners tuesday morning for us listeners if not it'll be wednesday just we'll see how we go we'll see how we go we're human we've got to work at yeah that's the thing we're human It'll be early next week. You'll get a your recap pod. All right. Mm. Enjoy your weekend of football, guys. Enjoy, you know, college football. If that's your thing, go Horn Frogs. Enjoy the NFL. Enjoy it all. Thanks so much for getting on, Jacko. Until next time, guys. Get some football up, yuck. Yeah.